Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So the ban continues for President Trump. I guess Facebook decides when you can speak and when you cannot speak. They said, "Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna uphold the ban on President Trump." But it, it was weird. It was it was they're saying uh, indefinite suspension is not appropriate. So they've got this idea of what is appropriate for the former president of the United States and whether or not he can speak. They upheld Facebook's decision on January 7th. This is the oversight board. I didn't know they had an oversight board. The the board has upheld Facebook's decision on January 7th, 2021 to restrict then-President Donald Trump's access to posting content on his Facebook page and Instagram account. The board gave Facebook six months to review the arbitrary indefinite ban, saying in a tweet that the company violated its own rules. Quote, Facebook cannot make up the rules as it goes along, or as it goes, I should say, and anyone concerned about its power should be concerned about allowing this. Having clear rules that apply to all users in Facebook is essential for ensuring the company treats users fairly. I honestly don't know what any of that means, considering we've seen time and time and time again how it is these social media companies will create rules that fit their need as the need comes up. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Facebook, <laughs> see what I did there? Tony Katz Radio, Parlor, Instagram, Twitter, at Tony Katz. Uh, you can actually check that out for yourself, and so you should. I don't know what to make of this. Am I supposed to get worked up? Am I supposed to get, you know, out, out, out of my head? They say, while the same rules should apply to all users, context matters when assessing the probability and imminence of harm. When posts by influential users pose a high probability of imminent harm, Facebook should act quickly to enforce its rules. Although, I I think that's, I I think I finished the quote there. No, no, that, that was something else. So when do they determine imminent harm, and since when did the board of Facebook become the precogs from Minority Report? There's Mark Zuckerberg and, and Shelly, whatever her name is, uh, Cheryl Sandberg, right? They're, they're floating in the milk. Did you not see Minority Report? Good movie. Right? And they're, and they're determining, you know, when a, when a, a crime's going to be committed. This is very awkward stuff, guys. Because isn't the whole conversation of imminent harm in the view of the person being harmed? Using that, I mean, just, I'm asking the question to better get an understanding of where everybody is on these subjects. Let's start with some ground rules, some basics. We can agree that there are moments that people are calling for violence. It's clear, it's, it's, it's obvious, it's when someone says, hey, let's go punch producer Ari directly in the face Tuesday at 3.30. And I don't, I don't, I don't think that's, that's proper, only because I'm busy Tuesday at 3.30, right? But that's a clear call to harm. If 
you were to tweet or put on Facebook, I hate that guy, producer Ari, so much, I just want to punch him in the face. Well, I would argue that that's not right. But one would question whether or not that is a call to harm. For example, was it a call to harm and an imminent threat when they said that about Nicholas Sandman, who was a 17-year-old kid? Dean Abadala and a a, a bunch of do-gooders said that he had a punchable face? That, that, That wasn't a call to harm? None of those people got kicked off anything. No one got kicked off nothing. But I looked at that and said, that's a call to harm. The president saying it's a stolen election and we're going to fight like hell. Using those as examples, not saying that's exactly what he said. But are those things calls to harm? I don't think people saying we're going to fight like hell is, is a call to harm. I think that there are constant, nonstop examples of people on all sides of the aisle saying things like we're going to fight like hell. I think that happens over and over again. Democrats and Republicans, would that be a call to violence? I don't believe so. I don't believe in any way, shape, or form, but this board could say so, and they could say that it's imminent. So clearly, it's like pornography. People are going to say you know it when you see it. You know it when you see it. Now, maybe, just maybe, there is a, there is a standard that we can all approve of. And I think we can. I think it is the standard when we hear somebody say, I'm going to go hurt so-and-so. That's the standard. But is this a call to harm? At the federal level. In the Senate, Democrats are going to fight like hell to make this a reality. Chuck Schumer, June 2020. Is that a call to harm? This puts us in a place of understanding exactly what happens when we try to set up rules and why free speech has to exist because it's the only rule that works and everything else is garbage. Facebook trying to thread the needle on this, they only look like fools. That's it. They look terrible in this conversation. Just ridiculous. And by the way, I don't think Trump cares. I mean, that's why he's got the new platform, right? And by the way, we should be clear, it's not a platform. I actually don't know what it is. The desk of Donald John Trump. You can go to DonaldJTrump.com. He's got his new new, uh, platform. It's not a platform yet. It's a way to get emails. It's a way to maybe raise some money. But it is not as of yet a platform. Maybe it will be one day. Maybe he'll get there. One could hope we could utilize more platforms. We could use more platforms. We could use more, not less. But I, uh, I, 
I, I don't know what if, if what President Trump has yet is a platform. It's like uh, Mike Lindell's a platform. By the way, use promo code Tony from MyPillow.com. It's good for you. Uh, it, it, it just is. The, the, the thing that he's put together, Frank's speech, right? Oh, he didn't call it Pillow Talk, which is such a shame. Frank's speech. Uh, they keep sending me stuff, but it's not a platform yet. It's just not a platform yet. Maybe it'll get there. Facebook needs competition. Twitter needs competition. Now, the question is, are you willing to pay for it? Will you pay a couple bucks a month to have one of those services? Because if not, well, you got a whole other set of problems. The people who are going to be running these platforms, building these platforms, they want to be able to make money on it. You know they're going to get attacked everywhere and every way uh, to not, you know, don't allow sponsors this, don't allow sponsors that, come after people here, there, and everywhere. Are you willing to pay a couple of bucks? This is always the question that the content creator is asking. Are you willing to pay a couple of bucks for content from people that you know, like, and trust, and that you approve of, and that makes you laugh or makes you think or what have you? As opposed to the nonsense you're getting on Netflix. So that's a, a secondary conversation. But Facebook is going to decide that it's a ban, but it's not a forever ban, and we'll review the ban, but when someone's providing imminent harm, we have to do something, even though imminent harm is arbitrary, except in the most clear cut of cases, as in, I'm going to go do harm to producer Ari on this day at this time. By the way, no one should do harm to producer Ari. He's very fragile. He, he should be left alone at all costs. As a matter of fact, don't walk past him too fast. He could fall over. The breeze. Just knock him right down. This is not a good day for Facebook. It's not a good day for people who are into free speech. It's just not a good day at all. Understand Facebook didn't uphold anything good. They upheld something arbitrary and then noticed that they were doing so as if they were, uh, I don't know, uh, moral or pious. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. So this is a one-two punch on firearms. And the first is a, is a very odd story out of Muncie, Indiana. Now, Muncie was the great American prototypical city, right? It had the plant and people worked there and you could live the American dream there and have this great middle-class existence. And then the plants went away and, well, so went away the city of Muncie. Right? Muncie has had hard times. Muncie is, is due for a great comeback. Right now, the, 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 the jewel of Muncie is Ball State University, which is a, a, a good school. Right? Muncie has taken it on the chin and I think is desperate for a comeback. You may have a city like that just near you. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, a pleasure. Well, in Muncie, the police there were doing a fundraiser for uh, their canine units, right? The dogs. They needed to raise money. They needed cash uh, for funding the canine unit. So what were they doing? Gun raffle. 
they were going to have a drawing on two firearms. One, a Ruger 1022. $10 a ticket. They were going to have the drawing after 300 tickets were sold. So they sell 300 tickets and then they'll pick a winner. Then they were going to do a drawing on the 1st of August, $20 a ticket, a Smith & Wesson AR-15. Now, people will be like, oh, this, the, the AR-15 is scary. And then you'll have to take a look at the, 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 the Ruger and you'll be like, hey, they're the same. They're the same. People don't know what they don't know what they don't know. Right? Don't get into me about caliber differences. Settle down. Don't yell at me. I'm making a point. Well, Muncie police got pushback. Why are you doing this? This is such a terrible idea. Why is it a terrible idea? Because some people were offended that you could be having this raffle on firearms as a fundraiser so quickly after the murders of eight people at the FedEx Ground Center in Indianapolis, which is a couple hours to the south and to the, and to the west. And I read this story. Eight people were murdered at that facility in Indianapolis. And I read the story about the Muncie Police Department canceling this quote-unquote controversial gun raffle. And I said, I don't get it. And I say to you right now, I don't get it. I have no idea why this should be canceled. But supposedly people got really upset. What are you doing? This is ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. Now, you guys know that, that, that the Indianapolis area is home for me. And I, I said on my morning show, uh, guys, uh, someone from the Muncie PD get in touch with me. Uh, I, I, I want to help. Right? You have a canine unit. You need to raise money for it. I want to help. It's, it's just what I want to do. I don't think there's anything wrong with this. And I found it weird that people did. What does a gun raffle have to do with somebody who was mentally ill murdering eight people? That a firearm was used? I think those people need to apply their, their anger, which is legitimate, in a different direction. And you need to apply it towards the prosecutor in Marion County, where Indianapolis is, a man by the name of Ryan Mears. Because we have red flag laws in Indiana. It's actually called the Jake Laird Law. L-A-I-R-D. Laird. And this person, this, I don't use names, this suspect was known. He had a shotgun taken away from him under that red flag law. But according to red flag laws, there was supposed to be a hearing within 14 days. And there was never a hearing because they didn't want to give the gun back to him. So they stole his gun. Sorry. Even though he may have been a problem, you needed the law to be able to make that statement. You needed to have the, the, the hearing. But they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to risk it. They claim we didn't have enough time to put things together. Well, that's too bad. You have 14 days. If you now want to argue well, what we need is three months. So on some cases, you'll take someone's Second Amendment rights away from them for three months. No, 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 no. The least amount of time possible. That's why it's 14 days. And then you have the trial, but he didn't have the trial. He did not have the trial to the prosecutor. Put your anger towards that prosecutor and tell him to step down. Because it's not okay what he did. 
as many of us see it, it's a flat-out abuse of the system. But as we can see it now, maybe we could have done something. Maybe we could have done something. And that would have been better. Don't be mad at the Muncie Police Department for funding the canine unit. By the way, no joke. Uh, I'm I'm all in. Uh, We're going to figure something out here. This brings us in Indiana to the city of Mooresville. Now, Mooresville, you got to go in the complete opposite direction of of Muncie, right? So if you're in Indianapolis, big capital, Muncie is to the northeast, Mooresville is to the southwest. And the city of Mooresville has just declared itself a First Amendment and Second Amendment sanctuary city. Okay, good on you. According to the reporting, though, it was a divided vote. Now I want to meet the people who opposed being a First Amendment sanctuary city. For, by, by the way, for, for those people who are confused, you know how they have sanctuary cities like where if we have people who are here illegally in the country, we're not going to report them to ICE. We're not going to report them to law enforcement. No, no, no. They can hide out here and everything's fine. Right? People who have broken the law. But the First Amendment is your right to free speech, your right to assemble, your right to to worship the way you choose. Your Second Amendment is your right to keep and bear arms, which shall not be infringed. These are constitutional amendments. These are your rights making us different than nations all across the globe. Can you point to me the person who's divided on this issue? Mooresville will be a Second Amendment sanctuary. Oppose any public funds being used to infringe on the constitutional guarantee to keep and bear arms. And as a First Amendment sanctuary, they will oppose government actions to curtail religious liberties and promote cancel culture, specifically in reference to COVID. Good on them. By the way, I do agree that it is absolutely outstanding and frightening that a city would have to do this. And you could argue, I guess, that it's a little bit of posturing. All right, look, uh, uh, they're trying to just show themselves as caring and all that. So uh, this is just for the, for the voters, you know, just to, just to make them feel good. Okay. As one councilman said, if it's grandstanding, I'm happy to grandstand. That was a town councilman, Shane Williams. I take your rights seriously. I take my oath seriously. I have no problem reaffirming that oath through a resolution. Okay. Good. I'll take some more of this, please. I'm Tony Katz.
I don't think there's much of a doubt that the Chauvin legal team has a case. Now, maybe they had a case from some of the things that happened during the trial. A case for what? A case for having the verdict thrown out against former officer Derek Chauvin in the death of George Floyd. Maybe there were some things that happened during the trial where you could clearly say, yeah, oh, no, 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 this, this should never have happened. Oh, no, 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 let's throw out the convictions. The conviction of second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. Maybe you could say, Maxine Waters did what? Congresswoman Maxine Waters comes to Minneapolis and says, we better get a murder conviction. Oh, we're, there's going to be a problem if we don't get a murder conviction. We're going to take to the streets. We're going to confront people. There's not a murder conviction. That's a threat. That's a threat on jurors. That's a threat on jurors. Maybe that's enough to throw out the conviction and start again. Maybe the fact that these jurors weren't necessarily sequestered. Maybe the fact that they never moved the trial out of Hennepin County. Maybe all those things could be a reason for overturning this verdict. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's so good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, Parlor, Instagram, Twitter, at Tony Katz, find everything, and the podcast at TonyKatz.com. Or maybe it's the knowledge that there's a juror, juror number 52, who may have lied on the initial questionnaire and therefore tainted the jury. I had this conversation with William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. And I was talking to him about about this, right? I mean, this this is if if you're Derek Chauvin, this is an opportunity. It doesn't mean that things are going to work out your way if there's another trial, but this is absolutely an opportunity. And and of course, uh, one's got to assume that that a lawyer is going to try to go down this road for their client. But I brought in William Jacobson of LegalInsurrection.com, Cornell Law Professor, and, and started with the basics. Who is this juror uh, and, and, and what exactly happened and what can come of it? Yeah, hi, Tony. So the juror is so-called juror number 52, Brandon Mitchell, and he's been very public since the verdict. He's been on TV, numerous TV shows, talking about what he went through as a juror, et cetera, et cetera. None of that is really a problem. <clears throat> but what did happen is that uh, it was discovered on Facebook, posted, I think, by an uncle of his, a photo of him at a rally in D.C. that was held prior to the verdict, obviously. Uh, It wasn't explicitly necessarily a George Floyd rally, but it was arising out of the George Floyd death. And he's got a T-shirt on that says, get your knee off our necks, and then it has BLM on it. It also has an image of... uh, Martin Luther King Jr. So that was not disclosed that he was at the uh, protest. And there was a very specific jury question when the jury went through the screening process, uh, written question that all the jurors had to answer. And that question was, um, have you or anyone close to you participated in protests about police use of force or police brutality? And I think it's pretty clear that that was one of the issues at that protest. Uh, George Floyd's family members spoke there. So arguably, 
you could say it was a George Floyd protest, and he an- he apparently answered no to it. We don't have a copy of his, uh, you know, uh, actual form that he filled out, but apparently he has said that he answered no to that. And that's a problem because that goes to the heart of what the case is about. There was another question that a lot of people are paraphrasing, which I don't think necessarily does not seem to apply because that other question asked about whether he attended a demonstration or march in Minneapolis uh, after George Floyd's death. And this photo was taken of him at a protest in D.C. So arguably that 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 doesn't call for. And obviously it goes to the heart of the case. I mean, a juror is wearing a T-shirt about getting your knee off the neck. And that was the issue in the case. And that wasn't disclosed. It wasn't known. And that in itself has you know given rise to questions about whether it was a tainted jury here. So so let's dig in a little bit uh, further. You are now uh, Eric Nelson. You're the attorney for Derek Chauvin. Uh, people like yourself and others saying that he did not put on the greatest defense. Is this enough to bring to a judge on on its own and say, we have jurors who lied. We simply can't have this. We have to toss the whole thing and start all over again. Is this enough to get a judge to at least take a look at it? It should be because this is not a minor lie. It's not, you know, um, something that's really irrelevant. It, it, it actually goes to the exact issue that was in the case. And uh, the issue in the case was whether the video of uh, what appeared to be Chauvin's knee to the neck uh, was the cause of death. Is, is that what killed George Floyd? The common wisdom, the narrative, the political and media narrative is that George Floyd died from nine minutes of a knee to the neck. Now, anyone who actually watched the trial knows that that is not actually the prosecution medical theory as to why he died. So the public perception is wrong, but that's the perception that this juror had. The the prosecution's case was that it was what they call positional asphyxiation, that there was no damage to the structure of the neck. The prosecution witnesses acknowledged that for the most part, Chauvin's leg and knee were on the back, upper back towards the back of the neck. There was no cutting of, there was no cutting of airflow through the windpipe and there was no cutting of blood flow to the brain. So that is not actually the prosecution theory, but it was something that this juror apparently believed enough, as most Americans did, to wear a T-shirt at a protest. And so I think it goes so closely to the heart of the actual issue in the case that I don't see how a judge could not at least seriously consider. Now, I've got to uh, you know, go back. It doesn't seem like there's necessarily a clear, clear standard as to what point juror misconduct leads to a new trial. But this is something the judge really needs to consider because of how closely it's aligned with the central issue in the case. Talking and to William Jacobson. Talking to William Jacobs and Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. Now let's take a look at this outside of just this new information regarding uh, juror number 52. You had the commentary from Maxine Waters and commentary from others that there was no way a fair trial could happen in Hennepin County, there in in Minneapolis. Eric Nelson, the defense attorney for Derek Chauvin, is going to make that case as well, without this juror information, which I agree with you, is damning. But without that juror information, is this a Hail Mary? 
from from a defense saying, hey, this is what you do now. This is what legal opportunities are afforded us. Let's go give it a try and see what the hell happens. Well, defense attorneys have to do that. So there's nothing wrong with him doing that, but he's got to do it because if he does, does he have any grounds him, outside of this juror? I think there was a, it's a little unclear to me because, you know, we don't have the transcript to what extent, for example, the expert testimony was objected to. I believe he did. I believe it was completely, some of the medical testimony was completely improper. I think a lot of the testimony was completely improper. So they were allowed to present several witnesses talking about uh, blood chokes and how what Chauvin was doing, non-medical witnesses, lay witnesses who can express opinions, how what Chauvin was doing was cutting off the blood flow to George Floyd's brain, which caused his system to shut down. But their actual medical testimony was to the opposite. So they were allowed to present alternative theories, which I don't think they should have been allowed to do, including a theory that contradicted their medical experts. There was a whole lot of testimony uh, about the bystanders being allowed to emote about how they felt watching it. There was so-called cumulative evidence. So there was a lot that went wrong at this trial, but it's a tough standard to grant a new trial. And so I don't I don't think I wouldn't call these things Hail Marys, but I would say that any defendant who's convicted has an uphill battle to demonstrate that he was deprived of his constitutional rights uh, by virtue of whatever happened during the trial. So I don't think it's a Hail Mary. But I don't think somebody should, you know, count on it. Somebody should expect that it would get overturned Uh, in terms of the Maxine Waters and the other. I think one of the reasons what um, Nelson is asking for is a essentially a trial where you put the jurors on the stand is to find out what people knew, what they heard. But it's going to have to be very substantial, I think, in order for it to result in a new trial. I think this new information about a juror. Apparently, having lied on the jury questionnaire about attending a protest, uh, and now there's a photo of him wearing a T-shirt on the very issue that's involved in the case, which is the meat of the neck. I think that's probably the best chance that Chauvin has to get a new trial because he did not get a fair and impartial jury. We had a juror who, you know, uh, lied about if the juror had no bad intent. Why not just say, yeah, I attended a protest in D.C.? So Biden is going to meet with Vladimir Putin when he's in Europe. I hope someone there is is there to remind him that it's Vladimir Putin and he's Joe Biden. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Why would I say such a thing? Oh, Joe, Joe, Joe. Harris Biden administration. You have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black. Got hairy legs that turn that 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 turn uh, um, blonde in the sun. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by the, go. You know the you know the thing. Say it ain't so, Joe. He wants you to get vaccinated. 
I think that's fine. He wants you to get vaccinated, and and he's trying to encourage you to get vaccinated, and he would hope you get vaccinated. And to do so, uh, they've they've got a new website that's going to help you get that done. I'm going to repeat. We're going to make it easier than ever to get vaccinated. Visit vaccines.gov, vaccines.gov, or text to your, text your zip code to 438829, 438829. That's vaccines.gov, vaccines.gov. Now, if you say it wrong and then you correct it, fine. He said it wrong, corrected it, and then got it wrong again. You can say anything you want. Things are difficult for the man. And it's not encouraging. But I still say, I still say that he is more in command than anybody realizes. I think it's just the other way. He is not just all puppet. I think this is him. Love and the power. The, the dream come true. He has been staring at the White House his entire life. And I don't think he's taken it from other people. I think that he is absolutely knows that he's indebted to those progressives. I think he's fine with the progressives going forward because that way he doesn't have to fight with anybody. But cantankerous guy, mean guy, I think that's Joe Biden. I don't think he's a good, decent soul. I mean, clearly he loves his family, but he has never shown that really towards many others based on public pronouncement. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think he's more in, in ahead of his, uh, or in charge of his uh, faculties than others. And then, you know, we were talking about this earlier, what's going on with Liz Cheney, and is she going to get pushed out of leadership? That hot mic... Uh, from House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. Uh, I think she's got real problems. I, 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 I've had it with. I've had it with her. It's you know I, I've lost confidence. Well, someone just has to bring a motion, but I assume that will probably take place. Who? Elise Stefanik out of New York is pushing to replace her in leadership, and Nancy Pelosi. I, I, look, I I think this is smart politics. She's getting in on this. I do commend Lynn Cheney for her courage, for her patriotism, and uh, I wish her well. Uh, perhaps this challenge will make her stronger. I don't know. That's up to their caucus. I don't uh, welcome their participation in our caucus, and I'm sure they don't welcome my participation uh, in theirs. Amen. <laughs> By the way, it's it's Liz Cheney, not not Lynn Cheney, but uh, not neither here nor nor there. Uh, jumping in is, I mean, stirring the pot. It, it makes perfect perfect sense to do. Perfect sense to do. What do I think is going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. But there are a lot of people who are jumping in on this. And trying to get Liz Cheney out. So let's make the argument now that Liz Cheney is out. What happens? What happens if Liz Cheney is out of, of Republican leadership? I went through a couple of machinations. You've heard me discuss this. Liz Cheney decides to leave the Republican Party. I don't see it. Anything's possible. 
I just don't see it. Liz Cheney decides, all right, I'll be a, I'll be a Democrat. No, that's not happening. She'd have a much easier time as an independent. Does it embolden her with a certain set of Republicans in order her in order for her to uh, do some some fundraising and continue to stay in Congress? Does it help her? with this long of long of long of long shot bids to run for president. (laughs) I don't think you have to laugh at her, Kamala Harris. Right? I don't think that's necessary. I mean, if if Liz Cheney is kicked out of leadership, is it just, okay, you want to burn it down? Uh, now I'm basically Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, let's just burn it all down. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Um, I don't know how this is going to play out. I have absolutely no idea how this is going to play out. Also, I, I, I must say that while Liz Cheney was wrong, wrong on voting for impeachment, have we asked ourselves whether or not this move is the best going forward for the Republican Party? Meaning, what is the gain? And is the gain substantial enough? Well, we're about to find out, aren't we? Because uh, it seems like this is already in motion. On Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Tomorrow, everyone.